How is everyone today? Everybody doing okay? All right. Okay, I've been pretty dogmatic about answering a single question so far in the series, and the single question is, how does Jesus make a difference? And if you can tell by the title today, I'm not really going to get off of that subject because that is the title today. Um, Because it has to matter. It has to matter to me. I think that a lot of us, Christian or not, saying that we're Christian or not, live with a vague notion of Jesus, got this idea of Jesus and what he is, but there's really no connection. And it's not because we don't want that. Maybe we don't know how, like how does it all work? And so, and that's really what recovering redemption is all about, to see how those things all work. And I'm excited about this message because I think it brings some clarity to that. Um, and, I, and we need it. And I just refuse to be vague. It, it has to work. Otherwise, let's just pack it up and go home. So this is how it works. All right. And it kind of builds from where we've been. So this is where we've been, that the world that we live in is not today as it was created to be, and neither are we, Genesis 3. We all have disappointments, frustrations, and difficulties represented by this pile of papers up here. We tore up some papers last week, if you remember. These are all the things that don't fit together in our life. It just doesn't work, and so we all sort of have this mess, so we understand why that was. Two, we learned that we very naturally, because we have this, listen, we want to fix it. We want to get relief from it. We want to run away from it. We want a little salvation, if you will. And we will naturally look to things that we can see to fix it, ourselves, others, stuff, whatever. But it won't work because, Romans 8, all creation is subjected to what? Futility, and it's handcuffed to corruption. It just means this. If you can see it, grab a hold of it, in any way get a hold of it, it will not fix whatever your issues are, all that stuff. It won't fix it because it can't. Futile means the inability to produce any result. So that leaves us sort of stuck. We're here, and then we have this gospel, the good news about Jesus. What can it possibly do for this? But here's where we started. The gospel will do this first before it will do anything about this. And I get it. We're going to get it today. Like, how do I start to put the pieces of my life back together? Big and little. It starts with this, though, that I have this good news about Jesus, and it says that God actually left heaven to come down here to me, to us, and that means, first and foremost, that you matter. You were worth it. Not worthy, but worth it, because he came while we were weak. When you were at your worst, when you could not have cared less, that's when he came. Which just means he's incredibly good. He's so much better than us. We can't even get our mind around how good he is, but he's good. And he's not going anywhere. He's not going to leave while he comes to you. You're dealing with all this because, listen, he's already seen you at your worst. Who cares? There isn't any, if he comes when you're weak, there isn't anything you can do to run him off. He's already seen it all anyway. And as a matter of fact, the mission was, the reason he came was to take that mess, to take our weakness and make us strong, which is kind of flowery language, but but I said it this way last week, to take our stench and make us smell good to God. You stink to God. Like, thank you. Glad I came. You can kick me around at 11 a.m. Really glad I woke up to come here and have you kick me around. 
Isaiah 65, they are a stench to my, it's not good, but he came to take that and then give us the aroma, that's 2 Corinthians 2, that Christ came and now because of what he did on the cross, we smell to God like Jesus. He came to give us, we are now the aroma of Christ, which is perfection. I love this verse from last week. This is, by one sacrifice, he made perfect for all time those that he will make holy. That's good news. And so here's what it can do. It can start to change your, it can change your attitude. It can change the spirit about you. You can be something different over this to deal with, deal with this differently. The gospel doesn't make you rich or more talented or special or awesome in any way, but it can change your attitude. It can change your spirit, make you joyful, make you a little bit grateful, humble you, and, and from there we got a shot at the gospel will do that first or, or it will do nothing at all. But it opens the door to these next two, and this is where the change comes in. Today is how Jesus somehow makes a difference to this. It opens the door to these next two. The next two are love and obedience. Here's our verse. I picked John 14, 23 from the New Living Translation. You could find this idea expressed by God through Jesus in multiple places in the scripture. But this is essentially what Jesus says next. If you love me, all who love me will do what I say. If you love me, this is how I'll know you'll actually walk in obedience to my commands. The gospel, the good news of Jesus actually makes possible the fact that we would love God and if we love God, that says that right with that, the proof that we love God is that we'll, do what, do, that we'll do what he says. And if motivated by love for God, we start to do what he says, that's how Jesus actually can get his hands on all this mess that we have. Love and obedience. That's the key. So we'll track it through so it becomes clear, I hope, by the time we're done. So let's pray and then we'll get into it. Oh Lord, just thankful for the opportunity today to be here. Thank you for who's in the room. And I, I do pray for just like an openness. Just if we just give you, give you 35 minutes, just open it up. Help us to hear what you have to say today. Help us to see the depth of who we are. How we have to see Jesus for who he is, that he really is. Would you spark in us today the ability to love you? Because if we can do that, we'll do what you say. And if we start doing what you say, our lives will change. So help us to love you today through Jesus. And I ask it in his name and everybody said. All right. The way I'm going to start today, some of you are going to roll your eyes at the way I'm going to start today. So hang on with me. And what I did last week is going to make a little bit, it makes it harder to do what I'm about to do. I, I picked on a movie last week. I picked on Jerry Maguire because Jerry Maguire puts together this, puts out this false notion that people will complete us, which is crazy because we know that all people are limited and incomplete, and there's no way that people can ever be the answer to this because how can something incomplete be everything we need? It can't be. So I, I put that down. But now I'm going to use another movie in a different way for a positive thing, and so forgive my hypocrisy, if you will, for a moment, all right? But here's what I want to do. The movie I'm going to use is The Notebook. All right, so yes, I've seen it, and I may be the king of the wussies. I realize that, but just <laughs> hang in there with me. And guys, I am sorry because you will be watching this movie tonight probably. So I apologize in advance. All right, but here's the deal. Stay with me. I want to use this to talk about love in a way that we get it because we have to understand love. And if I start in with a conversation about you loving God, I'll lose you. 
It won't track because there's some vague, it's vague about how, how do we love God. But here's what we do know and can feel. We know love for one another. And if I can grab that and we can grab a hold of it, then we're going to reapply it. All right? So here's, here's the picture. All right? The story is Noah and Allie. All right? Noah is the sawmill Joe guy and Allie is the rich girl. She comes to town. They meet, he sees her and he's hooked. He's just absolutely hooked. She wasn't sure at first, but then she is. They become inseparable. It's a summer to remember. But her mom or her parents are not happy because she's, it's Sawmill Joe. He's too poor, right? We, you can do better than this. So at the end of the summer, they pull her out. They leave, but it wasn't over. They love each other. So he says, I will write every day. I will write you every day. And she's like, I will write you back. And so they leave. So he writes a letter every day for a year, 365 letters. She gets none of them because her mother comes in and she's taking all the letters, so she never gets them. She's here and wondering, well, maybe it wasn't what I thought. Maybe he lied to me. But, and she's crushed because she loved him. And nothing's coming back to him. And so he's thinking, well, maybe it was a lie. Maybe she, it wasn't what we... And so they're, it's not over, but it, it might be over. Then the war comes. He has to go to war, which puts even more time in between it. No more letters are coming. And she's like, well, and she moves on. She doesn't want to move on, but she doesn't think she has a possibility, and so she does. Until after the war, then they meet, just by chance. And she says, I thought you were dead. And he said, well, I didn't think you cared. She said, well, you didn't write. He said, yes, I did. I wrote a letter every day. She starts to realize they put it all together. Mom told him. She actually gets the letter. She starts to read them. She goes back. She's like, it wasn't over for me. And he's like, it wasn't over for me. She said, but now I'm engaged. And how do we? And you have to watch the rest of the movie to figure out what it is. Okay. Okay. So see? All right. But here's the deal. Here's what he writes at the end. All right. So it's the last letter. She's driving down the road. She's crying. And he, and you know, he's reading this, or it's all written out, and she's reading it. And he says this in the last one, but technically this would be a little like texting and driving today, so it wouldn't be, I digress, but never mind. He says this, the best kind of love, the kind that I have for you, it captures your soul and it plants fire in your heart. Here's my question. Do you get that? Do you understand that between people? Has that ever happened? Now, it may have happened a long time ago, but, but you get it. It's like, I, I get that. Like, that happened to me. Brandy and I, I met a girl. I met a girl. And I had never, she, she was like, unlike I, anything I'd ever seen or been around, and I was hooked. And we had a summer to remember. I mean, that was just, I can go right back there she had, she had my soul, and I had a fire in my heart for her. Do you, ha do you get that? Do you have that? All right. Now, that's not just an emotion. That's what I want us to see. When, you, when that goes off in you for someone else, is it just a feeling, kind of an up and down feeling, or does it actually move you to act? Do you do things? Of course, you do sacrificial things. You do selfless things. You do stupid things. And I can tell you some of the stupid things. That, my point is, when love like that goes off, it actually moves you to act. You, it, it brings about your devotion. You got it? Do you know it? Do you experience that? 
That is possible, that kind of love is possible toward and to an invisible God. A love that captures your soul and plants a fire in your heart for him. Somehow it's possible. And if you don't believe that, none of what I have to say will matter. You have to believe that that is possible. This is the disconnect, I promise you. But it is possible, and it has to be possible because what does God actually ask for from the beginning of his book to the end? Do you know that he asked of us what he, what he says will be true of us all the way through? He says from, from beginning to end, what I want from you is that you would love me with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind. He, so if he says it's true and he says it can happen, that it has to be, do you? And how in the world is it possible? And so here's the progression. Here's what will set it off. It's possible for you to have that if, if you start to get, and this is where the gospel comes in, we'll go back, here's the progression, if you start to get the depth of who you are and how great he is, when you really start to see that, not hear it over and over, I know we hear it all, but I mean really get it, when you, and I do get it, there's something about it where that I get, I can't believe he came after me to use me in any way, he shouldn't have, because I know me. I don't know why he did, but I really do get who I am every day and all the ways I don't deserve it, and yet he still came. And when you start to get that gap, it starts to rearrange your heart. Do you get, have you got that? You really do get it. And then the fact that he was relentless, he just comes after you and it has nothing to do with you. He's just determined and steadfast. He's coming, he's gonna make a way out of the mess you're in, and it's, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And when you can actually hear what he did, how many times have you heard, he's died for your sins, he's died for your sins, he's died for your sins, over and over and over we hear he's died for sins. But I mean, if you really, if you really hear it, that it was for you and it's for all time, you and I are going to fumble and stumble every day. But every day, that, what he did there, made perfect for all time. He's going to take it away. Every day we fumble and fall. Like yesterday, was, it was just a bad day. It wasn't good. I preached last night, came home, and it was a disaster to my family. But every day there's a place for that to go. Like you can't live from that. It'll, it'll lock you up. All your junk will lock you up. But every day there's a place to go because of what he did. And when you get, do you get that? Do you get it? Mercies are new every morning. There's always enough to take it away. And you and I cannot live going forward unless every day we're free from it. And it's possible. And we didn't deserve it. And when that starts to sink in and you actually get it was for you, this is possible. You can say, God, I love you. Have you? I will bet. I want to know. Have you ever said from, the, from some kind of soul capture, fire in your heart for an invisible God, have you ever said, just out of the overflow, God, I love you? And I will bet most of us have not. I'll bet because Jesus exists as a story. It's just here and it doesn't, but this is how it will do when it really... Listen, the gospel will punch your heart. You'll, it will, you'll get it. And when you, when you get punched, 
it will turn into I love you. And if you ever have, if you've been able to say it, what will have produced it? What is the progression? I just went through it. This is actually 1 John 4, 19. God, I think I love you. I think I love you. And it's because I finally realized that you first loved me. Has that happened? This is the disconnect. It is a story that we believe is true, but it hasn't punched us. And when, now, how, here's the question. How will you know that you do? How will you know that you do love him? You're like, I do love him. I'm not saying feeling it at the moment. I say like, did you get it ever? Have you ever got it? How will you know? What is our verse today? This is how you'll know you really do love him if you want to do what he says. For all those who love me will do what I say. Now, don't read that angry because it's easy to read it angry. Like it, we read that one like God saying, you will love me and you will do what I say and those things will happen. It's not a command, okay? Back up. What he's saying is he's looking at us from afar saying, when you do, you will. When it's legit and you really do love me, you will do what I say. It'll be alive in you. So is there anything alive in you to do what he says? Do you love and delight in doing anything that he says? Okay. If you have any of that, now I'm not talking about working it out perfectly. Here's the next, let me show you this one. This is uh, 2 John. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Another verse says, and they are not burdensome. So I'm not saying, do you walk it out perfectly? None of us do. But is there any desire in you to do it? And if there is, if that strive is alive in you, then you love him. And some of you are shocked right now because you didn't think you did, but you do. Because it, it somehow matters to you. You thought you would only be called someone who loves God if you worked it out perfectly. Not so. If you're fighting and fighting and fighting because you really do, at the end of the day, love what he has had to say, you love him. Some of you are shocked right now because you thought you did love him and you don't. Because you know so much about him, but you do very little with what you know. And it's not about knowing about him. It's about loving him. Last verse here, this is uh, 1 John. We will know that we have come to know or love him if we do what he says. So that is the, that's the proof that you do. Now, here's where the change comes in. You get punched. Sometimes, some way, wherever it was, and you can actually say in your soul, God, I love you. You will delight in doing what he says. And when that progression goes off and you start to do what he says, that is how Jesus gets his hands on this. Obedience. When I start to do what Jesus says, it's like Jesus is alive in my life. And now he, he through me, can get this. Do you get that? All right, so that's what we're going to go to. But let's back up and do this one thing first. Let's just say you don't. You aren't feeling it. I'm ahead of schedule. It's 11.35. 25 minutes. We'll be out of here. Forget it. Will you just get on with it? I know I'm supposed to love Jesus. Whatever. Let's just say you're not at the moment. Where, where must we go? Where do you have to go to 
to get any traction on that. And let's, let's say for the first time or any time, maybe you did get punched a long time ago, but it's been so long and it's so distant. Where must we go to refile it? We have to go back to that same progression. We have to go back where God has most cl clearly professed and expressed his love for us. That it might, and if we go back there and get it and grab a hold of it, then everything else we're gonna talk about is possible. Otherwise, it's not. It's just talking about obedience. and It's talking about being good. It's, it, won't, it won't happen. That is why we have to go to the cross, and that is why the greatest and best preacher in all of the New Testament, Paul, said, while I was with you people, whoever this group of people was, he said, I resolved to know one thing and one thing only, Christ and him crucified. And I resolved to preach one thing and one thing only, Christ and him crucified. Why? Because it's the engine. It's what, it's what ignites everything else we're going to do. It's what ignites love and ultimately obedience, and that's going to work out into whatever we want. But if we don't get that first, that's why church is important. We are charged up here with never letting you forget the significance of what Christ did. That's why we talk about the cross every week. You're like, we get it already. Seriously, he died for our sins. Can we talk about something else? We can't because it's what, that's what lights it. So you have to get it there first. And when you do, it changes. I wonder, I bet actually, the disconnect and your fruitless Christian life, that's the disconnect right there. That part has never been settled. It's just a story. So we got to go there. Let me... Let me show you how love professed, expressed, believed, and received turns it. I watched this um, thing from E60. It's, uh, it was a special about some boys that were, they were on their last chance. They were past their last chance. So they get to this program. It's in California. It's in Hollywood, California. They've struck out about three times, and so they get one more shot at this high school. It's Bernstein High School. Now, Bernstein High School has... A football team that's awful, but they get a new coach. I, I always forget his name, so I need to read it. Matsaki Matsumoto. All right, so Coach Matt, which I like calling him that because it's easier for me. He came from where they are living in. So a broken home, it's all split up, it's a mess. Football made a difference in his life because, not the sport, coaches coaches that he was able to connect with made a difference in his life and so he became one so that he could become to others what others were to him he's with these boys he's and with football in general he's straight up he just says listen football is a tool i'm not here to win championships football is a tool to take these boys and make them better men i want better workers i want better husbands i want better dads so he'll run him and he'll run him. And listen, he's not easy on him. I mean, he gets after him. Will you play with a little discipline? I mean, he yells, but he brings him in a room after that. And he's like, when I tell you boys that I love you, it means you can depend on me. And that's what I want you to be. I want you to be dependable men and dependable workers and dependable. And he teaches them all what all this means. But he says this. But he said, I realize these kids do not do well and they don't have the motivation to be anything different because they don't think they matter. And unless I get to the root of that, all this stuff will not make a difference. And so he did something. Before the season, before the, in the summer, before the 2013 season, he did something. He wrote a letter 
to as many parents or guardians that he could find, anybody in any way connected to these players, and he asked them to do a specific thing. Here was the letter that he wrote, and this is what happened. This is the letterman. Dear parents, I am writing this letter to you to ask you to write a letter to your son expressing how much you love him and how proud you are of him. This will give them the confidence and the affirmation to keep going strong and to go achieve their goals. Three weeks later, the team gathered after practice to read their parents' words for the very first time. Dear Harold, I want to tell you that you're a great son. I really love you. I want you to know how proud I am of you. You're very talented and wonderful. Generous, kind, and sweet. And I would always be there for you. I want you to know that all the family loves you, and we expect a lot from you. It was just a side that I had never seen from my dad, and that, that's what impacted me. And it, it made me feel like I, I got closer to my dad just by reading the letter. I love you so much that you mean the whole world to me. I just started like smiling and crying at the same time. Man, I could do something big, like with her, with the love. I want you to succeed in life and want you to fight for your dreams. What does it mean to read that? Great. I know that I could count on her and have someone supporting me. Before she wrote this letter, did you know that? No. Why? Because she never told me. That's when they really started buying into playing for each other. That season was the best season in Bernstein history. The LA Times named Coach Matt California High School Coach of the Year. It changed everything. I watched that whole thing with my son. I could see where it was going. I'm like, he's just eating chips. <laughs> I'm like, trying not to show him. I'm a little watery-eyed, just like you guys are right now. Like, it's just, that was, it was okay. Here's the thing. Some of those boys still carry that letter in their pocket to this day. They have moved on. They have to know that they matter. I don't care how figured out you, you have it. You have to know the same thing. Where might we go? Where most clearly and most perfectly would be God's professed and expressed love for us that we could go and review over and over again. And if we believed it and received it, would change everything. Where do we have to go? Most clearly, God has told you, me, that he loves us perfectly there. The fact that he would give a son for you and we didn't deserve it. And that has to hit. Those boys, I just didn't know it. We have to we have to go back to that, back to that. And when you finally get it from that place, it, we can be something different and everything will change. 
That's recovering redemption. That's the title, to recover redemption. You know what that is? To go back and get your redemption. To go back and see again how you were redeemed. <laughs> and, you, and that's why it will fuel change. This is why. To go back and recover redemption will start this spark. So this is what the gospel makes possible. We're going to do the whole outline right here. And I want you to hang on to this. This is not simple, but it's not complicated. But this is what it is. The gospel makes possible, the first one, the knowledge that you are loved. And I don't care how together you are or untogether you are, you need to know that, that you matter. And you know it clearly there. That This is like the letter that you can go and read, the gospel. You know your love. That sparks, that gives you the ability to turn back and say, God, I love you. I really do. Like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. But I really do. Makes possible our love for God. I can say that I love him because I finally get that he loved me. And what will always come with love, how will we know it's legit? What is our verse today? I'll know it's legit if you do what I say. And so therefore, the gospel makes possible my obedience because it's motivated by love. And this is where, this is the one. And love-inspired obedience to God makes change to this possible. That's how Jesus gets his hands right there when I love him enough to start doing what he says. And I love him enough because he loved me there first and the gospel makes possible then. Now we start to put the pieces together. That's how it works. Now listen, I get it. Well, there's your handy dandy formula to life change. There you go. It's not handy dandy, nice and neat. It's not. It's not simple, but it's not complicated. Think about it, think about it. If you are a fruitless wonder in your professed Christian life, Something here is missing. You have not received and believed that you were worth it. And not received and believed what he did for you. And if that disconnect happens, you, there's nothing in you that has soul capture, fire in your heart for him. And if that's not there, then forget about obedience. And if obedience comes out of anything other than that, it will never last and it'll be empty anyway. Motivated by love, then we do. There it is. So the rest of the way through, I just want to give you examples about how it actually works out here. How obedience motivated by love changes your life. How Jesus actually makes a difference. I'll pick some of my tears. You can, I'll guess on what some of yours were, and we'll put some of these together. All right? How in the world does Jesus get to this? So here we go. All right, what's the tear? So you all have these. So if you tear something, you know, and this is an issue, a disappointment, a frustration, something that keeps there. So what is it for you? What are you dealing with? So in my life, one of these tears is, one, is a relationship with my wife that could be much better. It's less than what it should be. It's less than what it could be. And here's why. Here's where the tear comes. Here's the, there's a cycle that repeats itself. And the first one tears it. And then every time it repeats itself, it just stays apart or maybe even gets a little bit further. And if it stays apart long enough, what settles in between there is resentment. And that's a very dangerous place to be. So here's how it goes. It starts with the kids not doing what they're supposed to do. Which, that's one, two, frustrates Brandy. Three, I'm at work and work, even though it's Jesus work at the church, it's not rainbows and butterflies, all right? It's 
it's, there's weeds in it. It's frustrating. So I'm frustrated. I come home and she says, the kids have not done what they were supposed to do and you need to deal with it because they don't listen to me. That frustrates me because naturally I'm a very selfish person. I love myself more than anyone else. That's why Jesus said, love others the way you love yourself. You'll always be okay because he knew that we all love ourselves. When I feel my precious self get slighted in any way, I defend. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I say, there are bigger issues than crumbs on the floor as I walk in the door. Which is, creates two problems. One, it's harsh, and the other is in front of the kids, which further under, undermines her ability to run the house. Okay? Then hit repeat about 100 times over 10 years. Got it? What does that need? What does that need? Okay, I'll tell you what it doesn't need. It doesn't need more of me doing things my way. Because <laughs> okay? that's what created it. It's me all by myself doing things to the best of my ability, my way, with self and control. That's exactly what it does need. And this will be true of every single rip that you have. So this is step one. What does God have to say about it? That will be step one. What does God have to say about whatever this issue is? So I happen to know what God has to say about this one for me because... What does God have to say about the marriage relationship? Because I've done 40 weddings. <laughs> okay? I'm the guy up here going, and you shall, and you shall. Like, I know what he has to say about it. Sometimes Brandy's like, you're going to go do marriage counseling today? <laughs> really? God is incredibly graceful. Yes, he is. All right. I know what he has to say. Part of what he has to say about the marriage relationship is this. What has he commanded? What does he say? That relationship should have the attribute of leave and cleave. It just means this, that cleave means that of all the relationships that we have on the planet, the husband and the wife, that is to be the closest. It's supposed to be full of oneness, that we are together on everything. That everything we do together, there cannot be competing visions. That it, it's like this. So whatever, like, so this is what we think with, about our money. This is what we think about our kids. This is what we think about our future, whatever. It's that. If you're not working on it together, like she has a job, I have a job, those, those can have competing visions. It doesn't matter. But anything we're doing together has to be on the same page. The oneness there. It's the most powerful relationship, human relationship, that exists because if, if it's strong, it will spin you out in strength, and it doesn't matter what's out there, you'll, you, it won't tear you. If it's weak, you'll spin out in weakness, and it doesn't matter what's out there, big or small, it will tear you. It's, it's that cleave. So the first place I go, so God says this relationship should be cleave, and this is the first place I go off the road. I, I take a left turn. Brandy and I would be more like something less than cleave. It would be like we hold hand. We have a hand-holding relationship. We are together on some things, but we both like a free hand. Sometimes, like, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. We're not, 
Some things, yes, but not. So that's the first left turn I make off of what he said. As soon as you turn off of what he has said, what's going to happen? It's not going to go well. How do we know? God is good, and you can trust him. And whose idea is marriage? God. This is what it should be. So I take a left turn. Next left turn I get is harsh. What does he have to say about being harsh? This is really simple. Don't. It's a little more complicated because this verse in the Greek means don't be harsh. So I get it. It's hard to understand. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. That's a left turn and a left turn. And if, I can, and if I keep going this way, what can I expect? An absolute mess. So what do I need to do from there? Motivated by love, somehow those things that God has said matter enough. Motivated, motivated by love, I want to do them. I repent. I turn back around. Here's the thing, repent. Every act of obedience on your tear will look like repentance. Always assume you did it wrong. Always make that assumption. Turn around from the wrong way you did it. Go back to where the point where you could have, and then go this way. That's repent. Obedience that I'm talking about, if you love me, you'll do what I say. That obedience will look like on almost every tear, repent, repent, repent. So here's the first place that you guys just walked away from my message really motivated by Jesus' love, I'm supposed to turn around? Seriously? No. What am I supposed to do? At the moment of opportunity to cleave, I don't want to, so I'm going to run away and find a little Jesus moment, pump myself up with Jesus' love, and come back, and then do the right thing. No. But here's how it can happen. I'll just say it this way. If you've been punched in the heart by God and you get it, then God's love is a possession in your house somewhere. You do possess it. You may not be feeling it at the moment, but you do have it. And you can act from it and live from it because it is your possession. It's there. What he has said may not be first and foremost in your mind, and it's just one that's been a wonderful day, and you just love Jesus so much, you're just going to do everything he says, but you do know that he has loved you, and even if the command's back here somewhere, you do, it does matter to you, and you can act from it even if you don't feel like it. Listen, I love God. I do because I get it. At some, somehow, some way, I understand it. So God's love has become my possession. I have it. It's in my house. Think of it like this, like God's love is like the couch in my living room, all right? It's in there. Now, if I want to every day, can I go sit in God's love and remember it and think about it and like, you know, all that stuff that feels, can I do that? Well, sure I can, and I could do that through scripture or worship or, pre, or whatever. I can remind myself of his love. But listen, I don't have to be sitting in it to be nice. I just know it's there. It's not like when I come in the door and I have this opportunity. Your kids didn't do it right again. I'm like, hold on, got to go to the Jesus couch. <laughs> okay, now I'm surrounded by the love of God. I remember how awesome he is. What? No. But can I do what Jesus says if it's my possess- if, it, if I know it's there somewhere? Sure, I can. Somehow, some way, to me. I want to do what he wants me to do because I love him. You can do it if it's your possession.
Now, what does repentance look like then? How do we, I got to repent on this issue, cleave. How do I repent on cleave? How do I, what is, how do I go that way? And it's not necessarily, honey, we need a date night and then hope it ends in sex, right? Because that's what guys are like, I'll work on cleave, that'd be good at well, things aren't right. We had sex. Yeah, genius. Yeah, no, things aren't right. <laughs> all the ladies are laughing. All the guys are like, what? <laughs> We're not good. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> Keep listening. All right, here we go. Cleave means we get on the same page. We take the time to get on the same page about how the house runs. We define clearly between one or another, this is what it will look like. This is where the lines are. This is what it will look like when the kid crosses the line. And this is what each of us will do when that happens. Essentially, we get united against our children. <laughs> and I say that, it's kind of funny, but it's true. If you let a relationship of your child rise up and get a little bit bigger than this one. It is something less than cleave. And I promise you, you are headed for left turn after left turn. You're going to have to repent and come back. It has to be there. So, and when it's there, then, then when I come home and they haven't done it, then our minds are the same. And so we can react the same. I can deal with it. And when I do deal with it, because we've agreed on what we have the same mind about it, then she's not surprised at what I do. And when she deals with it, I can back it up and support it because we've agreed on it. We, we got cleave going on. And that, in some way, will take care of harsh. With every single one. That is how Jesus makes my marriage better. Tracking? That's how Jesus made it. Because I'm like, well, Jesus made, I come up here, I'm like, Jesus makes my marriage awesome. You're like, really? How? That way right there. It's that progression. I love him enough to do what he says, and somehow he gets his hands on my life, and I do things his way. And when I do things his way, somehow he's alive in my life, which is what we talk about. He gives you a new life. He makes you a new creation. Like, How? You please stop saying things like that. I don't understand it. Here's how. He's captured. You got soul capture. You got a fire in your heart for him because you got it over there and now you delight in doing what he says and when you do it, he's alive in your life. All right. I'll just mention a bunch of other ones and, but here's, I'll just take you through the steps. So I don't know what it is, but there's a rip. So let's say it's money. What's, what is the first thing? There's not enough money. Things have gone very poorly with money. What do you do for it? What is the first thing you do with that problem? What does God say about it? Then you go figure out what God has said about it. And then here's where you're going to disconnect. That's why we're asking you to do life in groups because this is a place where you can say, you go and you're doing, you're doing life with other people. You're not alone in this room. You, got, you have a little crew. It doesn't have to be a big crew, but a crew. And you can start to ask some other people, because I don't expect everybody to know everything that God says. But you start to say, hey, what might God have to say about this? Now, don't take this to your group and make it a marriage counseling session or whatever. Don't do that. You'll blow the whole thing up. 
I'm just saying, get a little input on what he has to say about it. So what does God have to say about money? And then what's your next thing? Then you, motivated by love, you repent. You go back from the way you came. You get back to the, the place. You don't have to be sitting in the Jesus couch to do it. And then you do what he says. And here's the good thing about money. Even if you've totally, totally blown it, you'll find out that the things that he has to say about money to keep you from falling over the cliff, those are the same things you have to do to get back out. What does he have to say about it? Repent and then repeat. Please know this. Repentance is never once. It's like, well, I repented of my harshness once. And like, you're going to have to do it like a hundred times. Here's how it works. You repent and then you repeat. It's not a one-time deal. But if you keep going back and doing what he says and you keep going back and doing what he says and you keep going back and doing what he says, pretty soon his way just becomes your way. And that's what he said he was going to do anyway. Forever made perfect by one sacrifice, those he will make holy. How does he make us holy? Motivated by love, repent, repeat. Forgiveness. What does God have to say about forgiveness or unforgiveness? Stop it, essentially. And, and there's a whole bunch of we could talk about that, and I know that one's very real, but what does he have to say about it and then do it? But I don't want to. I, well, fine, how's this working out for you? You hating them forever is not working out. Comparison. My business is not like his business. My kids are not like his kids. My this is not like his, my, or whatever and it eats you alive. Because essentially what you want, you know what that one is? That's idolatry. What you want by your business and your kids and your accomplishments, you want everybody else to say around you, you are awesome. Which just means this, you worship what people say more than what God says. And this is a huge one. I would steer you to Isaiah 44 on this one. It's all about idolatry. At the end of Isaiah 44, it's about a lumberjack who goes into the woods. He goes into the woods and he sees this beautiful tree and he cuts it down and he brings half of it back and he chops half of it up and he burns it in his house to, to fuel for heat and to cook his food. And out of the other half of the log, he makes a god and he starts praying to it. You can't burn half and pray to half. You, what you do is you start loving the gift more than the giver, and pretty soon the gift is everything. Do you know what happens when you start to love all this stuff that God has given instead of God himself? Here's the end of that passage. And the lumberjack ate ashes. You will eat ashes. It, it will not work out the way you want it to. So every, I don't know, what does God have to say about it? Motivated by love, repent, repeat. And that is how, at the end of the day, Jesus actually makes a difference in your life. Now, it's not possible unless, here's the piece, unless the love of God is in your house somewhere. You don't have to be sitting in it, but it has to be your possession. And if the love of God is not your possession and you know it, then you must, the, the, the step you hit, you must recover redemption. You have to go back again and recover and remember how you've been redeemed. It's the letter from God. And listen, the letter from God is not going to say, oh, you're awesome and you're, you're beautiful and you're, you're shiny and I just love you so much. What it's going to say is, you were dead. You were my enemy and I saved you. 
It's a different kind of letter. Don't, don't get that straight. But you didn't deserve it, and I did. And if I can punch you, you can love him. Start doing what he says, and all that stuff you've hated forever will start to change. That's how Jesus makes a difference. May that progression go off in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the gospel. Thanks for the ability to see all that you've done for us. I'm asking that somehow, some way, you ignite love for you and people. And if we can get that part from the gospel, then everything's going to be different in our lives. And so help us, help us to love you. Help us to love you because of Christ. And I ask it in his name. And everybody said...